0: Welcome to the Animal Control Report with your host. I mean, guest host. That's you, bro. Jerry. I'm not the guest host, bro. You're the (laughs) guest host. Jerry, what's your last name? Because people might not know. All right, cool. Jerry's been a guest of the show. And I'm your host, Daniel Ettinger. This is episode, I don't even know, 192, I think. We're getting close, 200. Stay tuned. Episode 200 is going to be really big. Uh, We have some fun things in mind for that. So uh, please make sure you stay tuned and uh, like, share, rate the podcast on any platform that you listen to. We're still available On Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but even now available on YouTube. So check us out there. Just go to Keep It Humane on YouTube and you can find the podcast as well. We're also part of the Keep It Humane Podcast Network. So that's some awesome stuff. You'll want to check out our webpage, uh, keepithumane.com, to find out more about the podcast network. We have some great, great shows that are part of that as well. Jerry, what's good, man? What's good in Jerry's world?
1: Oh, it has been crazy busy. Um, like everywhere else in in the world, you know, all the shelters are full. So we're all what? playing magic tricks to try to get these uh, strays and surrenders placed somewhere. So it's just a nonstop battle, as you know.
0: I do. And, and hopefully our guests can help us with some ideas for that. And I think as we, you know, it's 2023 and... I think there's like a general consensus that we want to do our best to get animals, you know, placed and, and out of shelter care. But there's also that balance and we have to figure out what way is the best way. So we'll just jump right into our guest. Julie Bank and I met at the New England Federation Animal Welfare Conference. Is that that's I think that's how you say it. It's a,
2: yeah, uh, Yeah, it was a great weekend.
0: It was a cool weekend. It was in was that April March somewhere it was a long time ago now uh, but we met there in Connecticut and we were we got to talking and I was like Julie sounds like an awesome guest so if you don't mind just give our our listeners Julie a little background on on who you are and, and kind of what you do today
2: Absolutely. Well, um, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here because animal control is in my heart and has been in my heart for many, many years. I've been in animal welfare for going on 35 years now. And that is the time that you are supposed to say to me, You look so young, you can't possibly. Yeah, you started when
0: you were an infant, of course. There you go. Totally.
2: But um, I have. I've worked in the animal welfare space for a very long time, and I've worked at very large animal control organizations, as well as medium-sized and smaller private animal welfare organizations, and really believe that animal control is where the work is done, where the most energy and heart happens every day, but also where most of the work needs to happen. So um, I'm excited to be able to chat with you about it today.
0: We're excited to have you. So... What What is like a take-home memory from being in the field animal control-wise uh, that, you know, if someone's like, wow, like how, like where was it that, that really formulated this love for the job?
2: So I started my career at the ASPCA in New York City, and I worked for New York City Animal Control and then ultimately moved on to the national space. But there is nothing like the work in New York City, of really understanding what animal control is all about. First of all, the most important and most amazing part of animal control are the people who do it. Mm. And I met so many great animal control officers and animal welfare workers who really shaped my understanding of what the future could look like for animal control and also made me realize I wanted to be just like them when I grew up. So as I went through my career um, and I worked in Oklahoma City and in Maricopa County and in San Diego and in a variety of other places, it was really those people with the boots on the ground that did so much work to help people and animals and it was just really exciting to watch. And I think what it made me want to do is help enhance the profession as a whole and make sure that the people who are working within animal control have all the tools that they need to do what they need to do, but more importantly, have the recognition that they deserve because they are first responders, they are animal welfare folks, they're advocates, they're educators, they're all people in the field doing great work and need to be put on a pedestal. Quiet.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Who would you consider is like your, your top, your highest mentor that really just hit it home for you to continue in this industry?
2: Well, I'm actually going to start from when I was really, really young. When I was a kid, you know, I was that typical kid who wanted to be a veterinarian and then suddenly realized that you had to go to medical school to be a veterinarian and that went out the window. So I didn't realize that there was anything else that you can do until my stepmother took me aside and took me to my first animal shelter. And she was a wildlife rehabilitator and um, she knew the power of animal welfare work. And she took me to just chat with people at the shelter and the people at the shelter were welcoming. They didn't mind this little 10 year old girl coming in and asking them all these questions about what it means to work in a shelter and what kind of careers there are in a shelter. And I realized that there was this whole world out there that they didn't teach me in school and then when i started in animal welfare and i'm going to tell you a quick story i was a college kid and a mobile spay neuter i'm sorry a mobile adoption vehicle came and parked in front of the store that i was working and there was a, a older driver he wasn't very friendly and i went on there and started petting the animals and he kind of rolled his eyes at me mm. so being the good new yorker that i was i started me and this guy started fighting, and he's like, oh, you, you don't, you can't do anything. You're not going to adopt an animal today. And he basically shoved a volunteer application in my hand. Oh. And I filled <laughs> it out just to make him mad, to be honest, because I didn't really know about volunteering at the time. And suddenly this world opened up for me. So really my biggest mentor is um, Mr. Brody who drove that vehicle, who rolled his eyes at me and basically challenged me to make a difference. And today I still have his picture. I'm looking at oh. on the side, hanging up on the wall.
0: So nice. you keep that as like a reminder, motivation, or like an aspect of just appreciation?
2: I, I keep it so that I remember that one person can really make a difference.
0: One, that one person, person. And not that I
2: recommend people rolling their eyes and starting a fight with a young person but for me it motivated me and it started my career and i look at him when i feel down and i realize i can make a difference every single day by the way i communicate by the way i um, engage and he helps remind me that
0: so in the aspect of your history of, of animal control and, and And your hate for the city of San Diego? I'm kidding. That's a joke. She doesn't hate San Diego. (laughs) She just told me she likes L.A. better, and I'm like,
2: what's going on? But my son was born in San Diego, so I'm just teasing you.
0: I'm just teasing you. But the aspect of okay, so the animal control world taught you a lot, and it teaches people. I think outside of the aspect of like doing work, there's a level of communication that you can really grasp from doing. Public service work and animal control is a very unique public service role, in my opinion, because, you know, you don't have, I mean, even in California, you can physically arrest and and some animal control officers can, etc. But we're not really designed that way. Like our, you know, our design is to generate voluntary compliance, to like find ways to help people or to get animals, you know, maybe out of a bad situation. So, in your experience. How did that transition or how did that help with your transition into your current role and, you know, kind of what you do now in life?
2: Well, when I first started in animal control, it was all punitive. So it was all about uh, ticket giving. It was all about how many animals you can bring in the door. Mm -hmm. Your monetary compensation was based on how many animals you brought in the door and how many tickets you wrote. So
0: wait, when, wait, wait, pause. So
2: no, I'm serious. Like, you went the when you were looking at the contracts that you had, it really was based on, and I'm talking way back in the 80s. Um, so it was based on how many animals that came in the door, and you got paid based on how many animals came in the door, and you got paid based on citations. Um, so as we evolved and we've recognized that. That has not really benefited our community as much. What has benefited our community more is to be much more community-based and to be much more focused on how we can prevent animals from having problems and focused on education. We had to really look at remodeling what an animal control contract, for example, looked like into different types of things. So it should no longer be about the punitive and it should no longer be about how many animals come in your door because the goal is to prevent them from coming in your door. So we've definitely evolved in the over 30 years that I've been. It's been amazing to watch our industry move into an industry that's much more professional, move into an industry that's much more community and educational based, and to move into an industry that, as I said before, is much more um, of a profession itself. Um, And we need to still do some work there. I mean, we still need to understand that animal control officers are an important part of the landscape when it comes to public safety and when it comes to what's going on in the community. And the animal welfare worker is right there alongside of the police and the fire and the social services and all of the different agencies that are out there responding to Um, situations, and we're part of that team, and we're an important part of the team, and to be honest, should be respected as an important part of that team. All
0: right, that's a great answer, but you didn't really answer my question. Okay. Um, How did that that background help you to where you are today, like what you do in your current role? How did that experience of animal control and the aspect of, of what you learned, those takeaways from the profession, help you transition? Sorry, Jerry, for stealing your question.
2: So first of all, um, I'm a lifelong learner. So as a lifelong learner, I make sure that I take a tidbit from everything that I do, whether it's a good experience or a bad experience. I try to make sure that I take it, I learn from it, and I change my behavior based on what I have learned and what I have seen. So as I have grown within the animal welfare space, I have um, really use those tidbits of information that I've gotten to become what I am today. And I will use new tidbits to become what I am tomorrow. Today as a, a, as a profession, I am a consultant. I have JBank Consulting, and you can check out jbankconsulting.com. And as a consultant, I am spending a lot of time working with organizations all over the country and internationally on their animal welfare and animal control needs. Um, and it's that history and those tidbits of learning that I'm then imparting to others. But every time I go into a new organization, I'm still learning something new, and then using that as a toolkit for me to share with others. So Did that answer the question? That's
0: a great. See, that's the answer I was looking for. J Bank. Also, that's the that's a killer nickname. J Bank in the building.
2: J Bank in the building. You yeah, you. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to tell you what they used to call me when I was in. Um, in high school and college we'll leave that for another podcast. okay
0: all right that's fair
1: all right so two-part question here um, how long were you in the field and then the second so, question uh, i'm gonna steal this one from daniel lariat snappy snare or catch pole.
2: started in animal welfare in 1989, so it's been a very long time, too long to count. But I will tell you, do not call me a dinosaur. Wow, don't no, like you don't me. look like a dinosaur. Thank you very much. But sometimes people take for granted the institutional knowledge and the history that some people have been in the field for a very long time. So there's a lot of people like me who have been here a long time and have a lot to offer. To me, I'm going to answer the second part of the question with a leash. Fair. Because Fair I enough. think that um, as long as you're reading animal body language appropriately, as long as you're uh, reading the entire situation appro- appropriately, in most situations, I would especially agree. if we take our time, we can use a leash to do the things that we need to do. Um, now, that does not mean a, all the other um, tools that you just talked about aren't necessary for certain situations. But honestly, I think the majority of time, a leash is our most important tool. Now, when I was starting in animal welfare, our animal control officers would make their own leashes. They made their own leashes around these heavy ropes and um, had these little um, O-rings that they would put them in. It was fascinating to watch them. And these leashes would last forever. So I, do I have, think one of those
0: have one of those.
2: You need to have a leash that is a solid leash, not one of those like like slip leashes that you give out as part of adoption. You need definitely a better, heavier, more useful tool. And But again, if you're trained and if you're skilled in reading body language, you're going to do most of what you need to do, right? There you so go. This leash, I do
0: not have an O-ring. I could put an O-ring on it. It's just a regular... Loop, But what I did to the other side, and I've had this leash, and I've left it at people's houses and had to go back. Uh, I did put a a clip on it so you can clip it to certain things. Now, typically, I like to use this side for the dog, right? The reason I really like this leash is because look at that loop, right? It stays open. Like you were saying, some of those other leashes, they get all flimsy and whatnot. So Mm -hmm. this is actually climbing rope. This is made from climbing rope, and uh, it works well. I've had it probably been using this leash for close to at least probably eight years, something in that.
2: Absolutely. I, I know some folks who have had their same leash. They've had to wash it a few times, but they yeah, have the thing's... Same, you know, same leash from a long time ago. So it's important that you have the right equipment. But I think uh, personally, I think we're too quick sometimes to grab that control pole um, and that it's not needed in most cases if you've got the skill and, and the and patience.
0: So just to, again, people to check out your website, jbankconsulting.com, really easy to remember, jbankconsulting. Check that out. I'm actually on the website now checking some stuff out. Okay, what does no-kill mean to you?
2: So no-kill is not necessarily a term that I use on a regular basis, but I think the premise of what they're trying to say is extremely important. I think for me, it's all about utilizing everything that we can to um, prevent animals from coming in the door and from placing animals that are appropriate to place in environments, whether it's a transfer or whether it is a... Uh, adoption or whether it is a foster home or whatever we need to do. And the goal is to save as many lives as possible. So I think we can all get around the fact that we all want to save as many lives as possible. Do you think uh, the
0: term but- is divisive or is that just me being difficult for difficult sake? Cause I, it feels like there's many in our industry that do feel like it's divisive right. from the aspect of when they go on a call are you a no-kill shelter? Are you a no-kill? Are you going to put it down? Are you a no-kill shelter? And so, in your professional opinion, is it is it something that is divisive, or am I just making making this up because I, I want to be difficult? And
2: um... I think I think it's a little bit of both. Um, when the language came to be, it the the people who started using those language found a word or two words that really resonated with the community um, and the community started backing it. So that word ha- has done a great job in the community of bringing some education into the plight of animal welfare. Wouldn't you say it also fun.
0: it brings funding as well?
2: Well, it definitely brings funding. It brings support. It brings uh, awareness to something that didn't have the awareness before. So there's definitely some um, great PR that's gone with that terminology. And uh, I do say that we're beginning to define it better. So more and more people understand that it's not just about saving every animal, but it's about saving animals that you're able to save. What? And it's about a, a, a metric. But that, it's, it.
0: arbit- it's arbitrary. And so something that you might know about me, uh, you probably don't, just because we're we're new together as far as like meeting and, and having this conversation. I came up with a slogan to help better identify what we actually do, and with your expertise and and I'm asking everyone the listeners here today. Uh, I've I made posts about it. It's I refer to it as smart animal sheltering, smart sheltering, and the acronym stands for saving the majority of animals through responsible treatment.
2: Right. Well, so here's the issue, though. It is a term that has now infiltrated our community. So...
0: Why can't you counter it with smart when they ask, are you no-kill? No, but I'm smart.
2: So how I generally respond when someone says, if I'm working for an organization that, that has euthanasia as part of the work that we do, I will often respond with, we are a full-service animal organization that does everything in our power to save as many lives as possible. Our goal is to save as many lives as possible. But sometimes animals are euthanized. It's usually because of behavior or our medical issues. Um, But we're really focused on making a difference to the best of our ability. And what I have found is most people are like, yeah, that's exactly what I want you to do. Great. You know, and you can move on from it. Now, I just to finish what I was saying before, though, so again, the term has become populated in our community. So as I've grown as a person, whereas I used to be really offended and felt that it was divisive and still feel that it is emotional for a lot of people because it means – If you're saying you're no-kill, then that that means I'm a killer, and that's not something that feels good. Correct. Um, I have learned to focus less on the terminology and focus more on the meaning. So people are now the same way people used to sit there and think, oh, you're a dog catcher. They're now moving to the words no-kill. So rather than fighting it and looking like I'm being argumentative with somebody... I now go, well, the premises of No Kill is that we're going to be creative and we're going to do great programming for you and we're going to meet a a, a 90% save rate. So, you know, in effect, we are doing everything um, to save the lives of animals and just kind of move past the, rather than fighting about the language, I have chosen to move past the fight and to focus (laughs) on the issues and to focus on the um, things that we are proactively doing, which are basically the same things every other organization that defines themselves as no kill are doing. And I focus on all the great things that we're doing. And most people I have found are willing to move past it if I don't argue it. So I've not embraced it. I still don't choose to say it. Got it. But I don't, I don't fight it anymore because I really think that in general, we're all doing great things. And if we focus on the positive, then people are going to see that.
1: There's such a misconception around no kill, though. I've had many arguments with people who, like I tell people, the only time I'd ever have to euthanize an animal would be medically necessary. And it's deemed by a vet. Yeah, that the judge says, hey, that dog is deemed vicious. You need to put it down. Those are the only cases i would ever euthanized an animal. But when you're talking to people, they think, oh, you're not going to kill anything. That's just not going to happen. It's going to happen in our industry. And then you start educating them about, okay, just to get that no-kill moniker has to be less than 10% of your yearly intake. Yeah. And they're just baffled. So I think a lot of it is, and Dan, don't get me wrong, I love the SMART acronym. Yeah, yeah. I started using that uh But a lot of it is just education. People are not educated enough about what we do day to day.
2: Well, I think that's the case, right? So I have found that when you share that the only time I euthanize an animal is for medical reasons or behavior reasons, I have found that the majority of the people are like, oh, yeah, of course. Like they they get that Not all people, right? We have advocates that aren't going to get that. And we have some people who are going to fight tooth and nail for a particular animal. But I have found that the majority of the person, as long as you educate them, they get that and then move on to the great things that you're doing, right? Because they're going to go, oh my God, wow, you're doing a great job of finding animal homes, animals' homes then. And Rather than spending too much time on that, because if somebody's got that in their head, you're not going to change their mind really, right? So you got to really just focus on having them understand the role that the animal control officer plays in the community. But I do go back to, I think that's the animal control officer's responsibility, right? You have to have a good attitude. Mm -hmm. You have to smile at people. You have to not be overly punitive the minute you meet somebody. You have to come with resources and a proactive, helpful nature, and if you are that person and you behave that way in the community, you're easily going to change the community to like you rather than not like you. But you have to be that 100%. right. Like we have to all make a choice to do that.
0: And Julie, before we, I, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but when I was trying to explain the smart acronym, mm-hmm. uh, maybe, maybe I wasn't doing it in the in the. A timely manner um, because it felt like from my perspective, uh, before I was finished explaining what it was, uh, you were already kind of either agreeing with it. So it, it felt like you didn't truly hear me. So I want to say it again. Okay. SMART stands for saving the majority of animals. Majority? Wow. Saving the majority of animals through or with responsible treatment. So let that sink in for a second. That's exactly what you just said. And the aspect of how animal control officers should be approaching the job, right? Is being responsible is, is a blanket statement in so many ways, treating the public with respect, treating animals with respect that you just talked about having that leash aspect, right? Using, using, I would say the least amount of force necessary when dealing with an animal. And we have, unfortunately in the profession of animal control, and Jerry, you're in a small town, so you could speak more to this specifically, but lack of resources, lack of training, lack of experience, which could cause if if we're not mentoring people in the right way or teaching people in the right way, they're going to get out of their truck with their catch every single time, even on a golden doodle, right? Or or something like that. And so just going back to the aspects of, of, of it all, I, I think as it's 2023, uh, we've become more and more open to change when it's the aspect of things that don't feel good or or sound good. I use this analogy often where, you know, several businesses or professional sports teams change their names, change their names, right? Name and likeness, uh, completely rebrand because that is a, a derogatory or hurtful type of word. I just think it's time for them to separate and get and get rid of it. That's my personal belief. They can still have their mission, which is to try to save ninety percent. I'm cool with that. If that's what it is, uh, I think that's great. I think some of the issues that have been brought up to me, which I'm trying to to grasp and, and and do some research on, is trying to keep people from even bringing animals into the shelter. So if it's a stray or if it's an owner surrender, you know, I'm I'm seeing horror stories where People are like, they're trying to get an animal to be relinquished and they can't. And then they take matters into their own hands and, and commit horrible acts of animal cruelty. And so animal control, animal sheltering in this current environment with all the education is still a resource to the community. And we can't stop being that just because we want to have this arbitrary number.
2: Well, uh, let me respond a couple 100%. of things. First of all, I'll apologize to you for... Um, making you feel like I um, didn't hear you or I th- and I appreciate that you brought that to my attention. So I'll be a better listener. There. Thank you. But um, I, I think the other thing that we have to pay attention to in our field is data. We spent so much time talking about things that are often anecdotal. And I know that when I was CEO in a, you know, a couple of organizations, I would often have people come and tell me, Um, this is happening, that is happening, and it might have been happening, but it also might not have been happening. So I think what's really important is that we capture data, look at data, and make decisions on what we're doing based on on data. So that is a real thing. And You're looking at me funny, so I'll explain it better. Um, When I say, um, when we're looking at the issue of prevention in the community, right, or if we're looking at the issue of, um, uh, uh, owner surrenders being done by appointment, or we're looking at the issues of allowing people to be foster finders of animals or all of these new things that are happening, right? We have to keep the data. We have to know how many people are actually doing this. We have to know to what extent problems really are happening in the community. We have to know um what the benefit of that is and the story is going to be through data for us to be able to make a decision on whether we actually continue that process or not continue that process. Um, uh, There's no doubt that a bad thing or two bad things happen, right, in that kind of case. But you have to determine whether it's happening once or twice and, you know, Thousands and thousands of animals are, are being helped and prevented from coming in, or is it something that's happening all the time, and then it becomes a different kind of conversation? And that's where data is going to help you make that decision. We have to not take it from an emotional standpoint and look at really what's happening. I'm not saying I have the answer on what's happening. I'm saying that we need to do more data collection to really be able to make that story.
0: The, the look that you got is... No one's collecting real animal control data. I agree. So shelter animals count. Great stuff. They do great stuff, right? They have an amazing, amazing, I would say, just accumulation of shelter data, intakes, outcomes, etc. But I want to know how many calls animal control officers are going on in a year. I want to know what type of call animal control officers are going out in a year. I want to understand the public safety aspect of animal control calls, right? Are there... I'll tell you right now from the little bit of research I did or have been doing over the last six months or so for a a class that I'm working on, the increase in bites since the no kill movement has started has risen. So it's that data shows because we have a lower threshold on behavior, putting animals back in the community. Guess what's happening?
2: Yeah. So I think you are correct. And I think it behooves every animal control organization to take a look at their fields in their system, um, to take a look at how you're capturing that data. When I was at um, my last facility, we had chameleon, and our um, we really took it as an exercise to take a look at everything the animal control officer did and change the chameleon database to reflect that. We had uh, iPads in the field that were easy for the animal control officer to to basically click. And then we had to do a lot of training to make sure that the animal control officer started to kind of pull apart what they did because they were so used to just saying stray in the field or... but they weren't used to focusing on gave an educational consult or returned uh, an animal back to a fence or any of the details that you're talking about. But you can update your computer systems to have those details and then start capturing. And within a year or two, you'll have really good data. But I think that has to be an exercise that every organization has to go through. And it takes time to learn what, the officers are doing and then update your system accordingly. But you're absolutely right. The details of the work that we do is so important to capture. And we've been focusing on a national uh, basis more on the Shelter. general things like how many animals have come in, how many animals have been adopted. And it's, but that's where animal control, the animal control associations can get together and really power through that for a data collection point. Good, good idea.
0: Well, it's going to be coming to keepithumane.com here in the near future because I'm tired of not seeing data. Uh, so I'm going to be putting out some stuff here in the next coming months about how to submit your data and uh, just kind of take that approach because um, we need to have it to support us. So sorry, 100%. Jerry, for stealing your question.
1: No, 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 no problem. It's all good. That's all good stuff. My only concern was some of this data collecting that's going on A lot of it's based on emotions. Unfortunately, that's where it's all coming from. And you have to take out the emotion part
0: to get to the raw data. Talk about it though. What are you Uh, talking about, man? Dig in, dig in.
1: So if you look at some of these data, and I haven't really done it recently, but a lot of the data collected, especially around the no kill movement has all been emotion based. They don't want to see this poor little animal put down for whatever reason. There's no, there's not, they're just looking at the dog. They're not looking at the background of said dog. Has that Can I dog dig had a, little a huge deeper? bite history? Here,
0: Dig, Here's, here's where, where, where I think you're going with that is it's not that aspect. It's how we collect the data. So that euthanasia may not count against the 90% live release rate. That's the trick, right? So some agencies mm-hmm. have ways to input that information because of the emotion that you're talking about. To say, well, that doesn't count against our live release rate. We need to stay at that 90%. There's a a recent uh, study that came out, or not even study, a recent whistleblower, if you will, in the Texas community that was showing that the Texas animal shelter was counting uh, dogs based on size. And and what I mean by that, and Julie, you may know about this, where they would count small dogs or one dog, medium size are Consider two dogs and then large dogs count as three dogs in their data so as they're collecting data the numbers are arbit- it's all arbitrary right because it's making it okay if we released one large dog that counts for three dogs if we had to put one small dog down we're still plus two if that makes sense and so okay. that's mm-hmm. where the emotion comes from i do want to move past this because we could we could spend on this for hours What's, what's on your horizon? What's next? Who are you working with, Julie? Like what kind of stuff is, is, is happening in your world of consulting?
2: Well, I am a new adjunct at the University of Florida Online Shelter Medicine Program, so that's pretty exciting. I have developed and taught a class in fundraising and development, and there is a section within that class on how animal control organizations or governmental organizations can fundraise. So that is a whole nother topic for another day, but I will throw that out there is that you can fundraise and you should fundraise. Um, so that's been really fun to delve a little bit into the academic world. I have a corporate client named Shelters United and Shelters United is a group GPO or a group purchasing organization. And they also have a new um, portal for to help with adoptions and is also working with the veterinary space to try to connect them to animal shelters so it's a great organization sheltersunited.com you should check it out Um, and then i have a couple of um, animal sheltering organizations that i am working with and if anybody out there has a need whether it is to do an assessment or to do a help them develop program or implement somebody else's assessment I am there to help. So it's, it's a lot of fun working with so many different organizations and so many types of entities. And I, I really think that the bottom line for all of these organizations that I'm working on is all about being open-minded, being willing to change, not seeing change as a dirty word, but seeing it as an exciting thing and seeing it as something that we can do and to recognize that we can all do better you know, what we've been doing for a long time, um, some of them are working great and some of the programs or things that we've been doing haven't been working great. Mm -hmm. And we need to be open to that. So again, rather than feeling all like closed about it, we need to just go, every day is a new day. Every day we could be better in what we did yesterday. Let's take those tidbits that we've learned, use them, and then don't forget to celebrate all of the amazing things that, that you do as well. Because I think sometimes we get so caught up in the language, right? No kill, yes, no, killing, no. Like we get so caught up in that. Let's take the time to celebrate and then tell everybody all the amazing things that the animal control world does. Because that's the way we're going to make change in the community and in, perspe- in uh, perceptions. 100% agree
0: True with all of that. that. You got anything before we wrap it up, Jerry?
1: No, I think uh, I got all my answers I needed.
0: Julie, thank you for taking the time and navigating some of these hard subjects. I think we could have had you on and just, you know, ran through the park with our dog off leash and, and, and had that conversation. The reality is this is an ever evolving industry and profession. I look back at our founders like Henry Berg and George Thorndike Angel and Caroline, or er, Caroline, Caroline, <laughs> Earl White, uh, the you know the three kind of really big influencers in our profession, and and that's you know le- around 150 years ago. It's pretty new, and and I, I think we can continue to make that impression and impact in our community where we're seeing the best outcome for our animals, and we're seeing the best outcome for our people. And that's the end goal, right? Uh, nobody wants to see any animal unjustifiably euthanized, period. We, we don't want that to happen. Uh, we don't want to see anybody's public safety threatened either. And so it's that balance of how do we, you know, make sure that we're present in the community. And that comes down to a lot of different things. It's, in my opinion, getting our, getting our politicians and people that can make funding available in our communities better. So they understand that animal control is not here just being the dog catcher, right. And find ways to, to really celebrate, like you said, the awesome work that we all do. And so I'm grateful, you know, I'm grateful for, you know, having a friendship with Jerry, having him tell me some of his, his stories that he deals with in his small community. Uh, but they still have the same impact regardless of the size. And so that's really important. I want to thank you for for your you know knowledge and background in this profession and and continuing to add your perspective. I hope you help champion smart because it's catchy and fun, um, but it's also the reality of what we do. Um, but you're in a position where you can really carry that forward, and you know you're a friend of the show. And so, um, if you ever want to come back and, and talk about some of the work that you're doing, uh, you're more than welcome to do so
2: awesome thank you so much for having me i you know if i could just say one last thing is that to me animal control or any type of animal work is about the relationship between people and animals and we have the good bad and the ugly within that relationship and um we need to be looking at it from a whole continuum of what it's about and what items are needed for each type of situation and i just want to thank all the people of the and animal control organizations out there for the work that you do every day. I appreciate you. And I, even though it doesn't always feel that way, the community appreciates you. So um, I just wanted to make sure I said that.
0: Thank you. And Thank remember, you. I think all of our listeners, all the friends of the show, people that that support us, you can be that change. You can be the next Henry Byrd. You can be the next Caroline Earl White, right? You can be these people that influence the communities to make change. like. Women weren't allowed to be involved in animal welfare back in the day, and so when Carolyn was like, "Yo, this needs to stop," uh, I'm gonna start my own animal shelter. Like she put forth a, a strong effort and stood up to, you know, what the norm was and, and made that change. And, and my point is, you can too. So, just don't just be happy with, you know, the norm if you don't feel like that's the norm. Like you can create change too. So I, I always remind people of that. As always, check out our website, keepithumane.com. Don't forget to check out J Bank Consulting for all your you know consulting needs. She can come in and, and provide some great insight to your animal shelter and animal control organization. Don't forget to check us out on social media like Keep It Humane. What is the other thing? Animal Control Report. Jerry, you gotta keep me on point, man. Bishop will be on me right now. Uh, <laughs> you got it. Uh, like, share, rate the podcast. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can check us out. On so, thanks again for listening. Keep moving. Humane main. Humane. Humane.